Bridge Church. Chase coming at you guys here with our second part of the Grace series. As you can tell, I pulled a switcheroo on you guys and moved to a whole new location. We're still here at our, at our church building, but we got lots of great construction happening. The kids' room upstairs is being painted right now, so I have moved down here to our foyer. But that's not going to stop anything. <laughs> that's not going to stop any more truth coming at you guys, okay? So for those of you that remember, we're in our second part of our Grace series series, okay? So last week we got some housekeeping out of the way. We talked about the foundational stuff of grace. We talked about where grace came from, that is of course with Jesus and the cross, uh, how it works, which is that it wipes out our sin, and then finally we tackled the big, big thing that you always have to talk about when you mention grace, and that is how it works together with works. So if you're curious about any of that or you want to know about that, go ahead and watch that sermon back. I will be referring to some things in there, but I'll try to keep it try to keep it as vague as I can. That way, for the newbies here, we can still keep on grooving, okay? So today we are in our second part of the Grace series, okay? And the way that this was going to shake out is for this week and the next four, four weeks, we're going to talk take Grace and we're going to split it up by letter. G-R-A-C-E, okay? So today we are officially talking about the G. And the G stands for gracious, okay? And so the title of the sermon today is Gracious Grace, okay? Now, I know what you may be thinking. Gracious? Really, Chase? That's the best you can do? That's the best thing you could come up with? Well, yes, that is the best I could come up with. But there is a lot of truth to be found in this idea of grace being gracious. Because I feel like whenever grace gets brought up as a concept, whenever people talk about it, whenever people think about it, there's always this idea of, okay, but when is grace no longer enough? Or when can I stop showing grace? Or when is grace finally reached its limit and you've gone beyond the point? You cannot receive grace anymore. You can't get any more grace, right? Well, we're going to talk about all that today, okay? Specifically, we're going to bring up three questions. We're, I like this three-question format, so we're going to keep doing that for the next couple of weeks. But the three questions we're going to talk about today is, how much grace do I give? Okay, that's question number one. And then we're going to talk about, when do I give grace? Okay, so that's question number two. And then, what if they don't deserve it? All right, that's the third question. So those are the three we're going to talk about today. But before we get too far, there is one big like disclaimer I got to give you guys. One big thing I have to bring up and I have to address before we continue through this message, okay? And so when preparing for this message and when like look up scripture and things like that, I started to notice a bit of a pattern. I started to notice something that kind of struck me in a bit of a not so friendly way, okay? So I want to get out in front of it. I want to mention it right now. And that is, please, please, I beg you, do not feel convicted. Do not feel guilt trip. Do not feel like I'm getting in your face telling you you suck or anything like that, okay? I swear to you, I promise you, that is not at all what my objective is here. Because whenever talking about be having grace and being gracious, people always start to feel guilty at like, oh, I didn't show grace there, or I wasn't my most patient, or I didn't give when I should have kind of thing, okay? I promise you, that's not at all what we're here for, okay? We're not here to make you feel guilty. We're not here to condemn you. We're not here to convict you. Nothing like that. The Bridge Church's goal is always to push you guys to be the absolute best that you can be and to get you as close to Jesus as possible, okay? So that is our goal here today, is not to look at your past and say, wow, look at how bad you messed up. It's to look to your future and say, these are great opportunities to show this grace that God has given us, okay? And to exemplify that, I got a verse for you guys, okay? And it's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. It says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Okay? So, you know, you forgive, you're going to be forgiven. That's great. 
Awesome, amazing, everyone loves that. However, it is notable that this is attached to something that we do. There's an action to this that we have to forgive in order to be forgiven, right? So that's a little something that sticks up there. And then in verse 15 it says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mm. That's not fun, is it? That's not the fun little asterisk that goes on there that's like, okay, you know, forgive, you know, you've been forgiven, forgive others. And then it's like, but if you don't, you know. So that's a little asterisk that people don't like or that sometimes makes people feel guilty being like, mm, I didn't forgive when I should have, so now is my salvation on the line? Am I no longer saved? Am I no longer able to be forgiven because I didn't forgive that once, okay? So I just want to get in front of that now and say that's not, that's not how we're meant to feel, okay? I'll bring this scripture up again at the end of this message to really bring home to you guys what I feel the scripture is really saying. But first things first, got to get through this whole message to sort of lay the groundwork for what exactly I think this verse is really saying here, okay? So I promise you we're not here to convict you. We're not here to make you feel guilty, okay? We're a family here at the Bridge Church, and we want you to grow and be as close to God as possible, okay? So let's go ahead and jump right into it. The first question we're going to talk about today is how much do I give? How much grace do I need to give a person, okay? So the first scripture we're going to look at today is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. This is our text scripture for this series. You guys thought I might have forgot to mention it at the top, but as a matter of fact, I did not. And it's mentioned here for a very specific reason, okay? So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. But to each one of us, each one of us, okay? Everyone, all right? Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift, okay? So this is our text scripture for the series talking about how grace is given through the measure of Christ's gift, okay? So let's break that down. Measure, all right? What do you do when you measure something? You're seeing how long it is, seeing how big it is kind of thing, you know? Like when uh, a builder is getting ready to build something, like here at our awesome church building, they have to first measure to see exactly how big they need to make the two by four, how big they need to make the wall, stuff like that, okay? And you, uh, grace was given according to the measure or the bigness of Christ's gift, okay? So grace is to be measured by what Christ has given, okay? So how much grace did Jesus give us is the question I want to ask you guys. Well, think about it. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, died, rose, and paid our sin, okay? So that's a lot of grace that Jesus showed in his lifetime, okay? And this is the measure that we are to use for grace, okay? We are to measure the grace that we show by the grace that Jesus showed, Okay? And then the next scripture I want to talk about, because we have to consult Paul whenever we talk about grace, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. And it says, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, I do got to be honest with you guys. Paul, in this verse, is speaking specifically of financial generosity. Paul is saying that these guys have been very generous to us and given us a lot of money, so we're able to do a lot, okay? But I think the concept here can still be used for our purposes. It still applies to what we're doing, okay? As you abound in everything, Christ has given us over and above anything we can ask or think, okay? He's given us great love. He's given us great provision. He's given us great courage. He's given us great strength. He's given us all these wonderful things, okay? And as Christ has given all those things to us, see that we abound in grace, okay? See that we abound in that grace, okay? So Paul is saying that we pick, we measure how like big grace is by how much Jesus gave, okay? 
okay? And then he's saying that we need to abound in that grace, okay? So Paul is saying, basically, don't be stingy with your grace, okay? You can't, like, you know, like how you pour milk. You always go up to the side of the measuring cup, right? And you always pick, like, a quarter of a cup or a tablespoon or whatever, right? You can't do that with grace. Grace doesn't work like that. Grace can't be partialed out and measured. Paul is saying you have to abound in. And really, grace, as a concept throughout the Bible, is presented more as a light switch. You're either giving it or you're not, and you can't really parcel it out. Like, God didn't say, I've given you this much grace, and only this much, okay? So don't feel like you can be stingy with your grace, or you can only give so much, okay? Grace is meant to be shown all the way, or not at all, okay? Everybody following me here? Everybody tracking? Okay, good. So, the next... Scripture I want to bring up is in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, okay? Now, this is rather famous, this particular scripture, this particular verse, okay? So follow with me on this, uh, starting verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, okay? So going back to what I had mentioned at the very top of this message, whenever grace is brought up, Whenever people think about how much they got to forgive, how much they got to do all that, they always think about, okay, but where's the limit? Where's the end? When do I not have to do this anymore? I feel like that's how a lot of us are in life as well, where whenever we have to do something that we don't really want to do, we always think of, okay, when's it going to end? When is this over? When can I stop? You know? I feel like that's always how people want to do or feel the way to do, okay? So this is exactly what Peter is doing in this situation. It's Jesus, I don't want to forgive this guy, so how many times do I have to do it before my obligation is done? Before I have fulfilled your will, okay? And look at what Jesus says. Uh, verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven, okay? Now, Jesus isn't saying, okay, after 490 times, you can stop forgiving. On the 491st time, you're done. You fulfilled your obligation. No. Jesus purposely picked a very superfluous number. He purposely said, okay, uh, after a millionth time or after a hundredth time or something like that, okay? Jesus sees what Peter is doing because Jesus knows everything, of course. Jesus is seeing that Peter is asking where grace end point is. So what does Jesus do? He purposely picks a number flat out of nowhere and says you have to forgive them this many times because he's basically trying to top out the scale. He's saying you don't stop short with grace. With grace you go over and above because that's the grace that I'm giving to you. Okay? So to answer our initial question then, how much grace do we give? We give all of it. Just like the light switch. We don't parcel it out. We don't give more grace to some and less grace to others. We give all the grace we have, which is the grace that God gave us to others. Okay? So that's how much grace do we give. All right? And then moving on to our next question, which is when do we give it? When do exactly do we give grace? When exactly do we continue on in this responsibility? Okay? So to specifically mention this, I feel like we need to bring up the big point here. And to fully get a hold of this, I feel like we need to see what a man after God's own heart said about when God forgives us. Okay? And that is in Psalm 86, verse 5. It says this, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Now again, we're pulling some theological truth out of a psalm, and that's a little so-so, but I want you guys to just bear with me here for a second, okay? Because the people who wrote the psalms were people that were very close to God and understood 
his love and his mercy and his joy, okay? So when do we give grace? Well, when does God give grace? When does God think about and decide that we are worthy of like forgiveness or worthy of mercy or deserving of mercy? Okay, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But this scripture says that he is good and ready to forgive, okay? So God's not like sitting on a couch and has to be like roused off it and be like, you know, God, please, 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 I beg you, you know? Like a little kid asking you for a cookie. They'll, they'll ask you for it a million times before you, they finally break it down and say yes. God's not like that. He's eager. He's ready to forgive, okay? He's ready to show grace at the slightest notice. And he is abundant in mercy to all those who call upon him. Notice that it doesn't just say, because this is in the Old Testament, it doesn't just say when the children of Israel call upon you. It doesn't just say when Christians call upon you. It's whoever calls upon you. And that's a great thing, because in order to be saved, you have to be forgiven. That's how you go from sinner to Christian, is when God forgives you of your sin, and he officially like washes it off the record. Okay, And that's super important. That's the biggest thing in any situation is this moment, this idea of salvation and of God being eager and willing to forgive no matter what, okay? So that's when God gives grace. But how many of you know that sometimes it's just a little bit harder, all right? So our next scripture that we're going to look at is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, and it says this, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do, okay? Now again, we're using this language again like we did in Matthew, that you must forgive, okay? And again, I'm saving that for the end. We're going to bring that up and talk about that a little bit more towards the end. But for right now, just go with me here in the first part, okay? Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, okay? Paul understood what it was like to be frustrated with people. We have uh, an account in the book of Acts of a man named John Mark who traveled with Paul and all his buddies, and Paul was so mad at John Mark wimping out of their missionary journey that he was like, he split the party. He split off from Barnabas and just had to be away from John Mark because he was so mad at this guy. So Paul is living these words. He knows what bearing with one another means. It's not meaning that you excuse what they did. Okay? Connecting this back to our first message, like I had said, when we talked about works, when we brought up this idea of, of like excusing, what a person has done, of just being like, okay, grace covers everything, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, everything's good, you never have to work for anything, blah, 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 okay? This is addressing that idea. That when you're showing grace, you're not just forgetting what's happening. You're bearing with the person. I imagine Paul had to have some hard conversations with John Mark in order to like fully expand grace, but it's important to note like we had said with our last point, like Peter saying, okay, can I forgive him this much? And Jesus saying, no, you gotta go all the way, that grace isn't just like forgiving and moving on. It's not just that. Grace is uh, forgiving and then going that next step to really dig out any like agony or pain that's in your heart or in your life, okay? All right, everybody following with me? But the big one, the big scripture I wanna mention for this is in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, and it goes like this. Repay no one evil for evil, okay? Don't, don't stop there, we gotta keep going. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place 
to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, and overcome evil with good. Okay? So I think a lot of people read this verse and stop at the heap coals of fire on his head. That people are like, ah, yeah, I can show forgiveness, and then they'll feel so bad, and then I'll be great. That's not the point of grace. That's not the purpose of it. If you're giving grace in order to hurt somebody, you're missing the point. You're missing what God is wanting you to do in this particular situation, okay? And this goes back to what Jesus said about the seven times, 70 times. You don't give grace and then attach an addendum to it or attach a limitation to it because that defeats the point of grace. Jesus didn't attach an addendum to his grace. And so Paul is saying, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Don't just say, hey, that's great, and then move on. Or don't call somebody to bring him food and then move on. Feed him. See the need and fill it. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Acknowledge the need and fill it. If your friend is unsaved, acknowledge the need and minister to that. Evangelize to that. That's the purpose of grace. That's the point of grace. And I got a story for you guys related to this. So, a long time ago, back when I was a youth in youth ministry, uh, me and this guy, I'm not going to name him because that's not important to the story, but me and this guy came into conflict with one another. You see, there was a girl in the youth group that we both kind of had an eye for, all right? And I was jealous of him. I was angry with him. I perceived that he had sinned against me, even though he really did nothing wrong. But that's, that's neither here nor there. But he, that guy got really close to my brother, to Joel. And so he had come over, and Joel was really in a mentor relationship with him. So these two had like a meeting together, and then Joel had to leave to go do something. I forget what it was. But this guy, this enemy of mine, was in my house, and I was alone with him. And then out of nowhere, he got a really bad headache, flat out of nowhere. And it was like to the point he couldn't even lift his head, he couldn't do anything. So he sat down and was just like, Chase, can you help me? And I thought of this scripture, and I had said, yes, I can get him. I can be nice to him, and he'll feel so bad, and this is going to be great. So I gave him water, I gave him medicine, I took care of him, and nothing happened. He didn't get mad, he didn't feel bad, no heaps of coal were dumped on his head. Now, I'm not saying scripture is wrong. Scripture is never wrong. But what I am saying is my heart wasn't right in showing grace in that moment. My grace had an addendum. It had an asterisk next to it. It had a thing that was like, okay, I'm giving you grace, but now you have to do something for me. I expect something from you because of this grace. And that's not how grace is meant to work. So to answer our question that we asked at the top of this whole thing, how much grace do you give? As much grace as God gave you. And then when do you give it? You give it whenever it's needed. All the way. You go that extra mile of grace. You don't just stop short at forgiving somebody and then moving on. No, you, go, you forgive them and then you help them. The Bible says that when a man asks for your coat, give him your shirt also. Or when a man asks you to go with him one mile, go with him two. These are Christ-like qualities. This is what Jesus would do in this situation, okay? And then we move to our final question. The last big one that we're going to talk about today, the one that's the hardest to answer and the hardest to talk about, and that is what if they don't deserve? We've all had this happen. 
where someone does something to us, they sin against us, they do something wrong, and they're not apologetic at all. They're not asking for forgiveness, they're not asking you for anything, they just, they do something, you're like, hey, that really hurts me, and they're just like, I don't care. We've all had moments like that. We've all been in that place. And I think it's, not, it's human nature to want to say, okay, you're being mean to me, so I'm going to be mean to you. You're not asking for forgiveness, so you're not going to get it. I think this is the natural human response to this incident. Okay? But looking at the human response, what is the godly response? Well, luckily we got some really, really good examples in the Bible. Our Lord and Savior himself. Turn to Luke chapter 23, verse 34. It says this. So how many of you know that in the later chapters of Luke, what has happened? Jesus has had his moment with the disciples. He has gone to trial. He has been whipped. He's been spurned. And now he's on the cross. Now he's suspended. And now he's physically on the cross. He's been nailed there. These Romans have been spitting at him, they've been yelling at him, they've been beating him up. These men are physically trying to kill him. He's pushing off the nails in his feet. And he says this, verse 34, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, in studying for this message, I looked up different things about this scripture, and one of them said, it's very notable how Jesus isn't saying he forgives them. I wouldn't necessarily say that's what Jesus is doing here. Because take in mind who Jesus is in the divine role of the Trinity. He's our stand-in. He's the one who goes through everything we had to go through. And another thing, he's the bridge. The arms of the cross are the bridge getting us from the land of sin to God. He's the one who is saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what to do. He's interceding for these people. These people that are murdering him, that are literally trying to kill him. He's interceding. He is saying to the God of the universe, God, don't hold this against them. As their representative, I am saying, forgive them. And it doesn't just stop there. Skip down to verse 40, okay? So at this point, Jesus has been hanging on the cross for a little bit now. One of the guys on the side of him is heckling him. Just say, oh yeah, you were the king of the Jews. Why don't you get down, dude? And do us a favor and get us down too. There's always hecklers in life. There's always those people that are going to get on you for not doing enough and not going far enough, okay? But there's always more to it than that. Verse 40. But the other answering, not the one, not the heckler, the other one. The other answered, rebuked him, the heckler, saying, do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation. Jesus is suffering the same plight as these criminals. Jesus is bearing, the, is bearing the brunt of sin with the worst kind of people, the worst criminals, okay? Because crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. Verse 41, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. To be saved, you first need to acknowledge sin. You first need to say, I am a sinner, God. I know what I have done is wrong. And this man is saying, I have done something wrong. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This guy's not asking for salvation. He's not asking for Jesus to get him now. He's just saying, Lord, I know where you're going. I know who you are. I see what you're doing. When you go into your kingdom, remember me. Just remember me. That's all I ask. But what does grace do? Does grace just stop short at the remembering? No. It doesn't. Verse 43. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, I promise you, today you will be with me in paradise. Hanging on the cross, literally dying, Jesus shows grace. And not only does he just show the bare minimum, he goes that over and above. He goes that next level. And says, not only am I going to remember you, you're going to be with me. I'm taking you with me through that gate. I'm not just getting you saved and letting you suffer with sickness, pain, agony, lost loved ones, and all this. I'm getting you saved, and I'm giving you that spirit-filled life, that abundant living that I promise you. But how many of you guys know it's easier to forgive a stranger than it is somebody close to you? Because they should know better. They know you. They know what you don't like. A stranger, they don't know. They don't know what they're doing. It's easier, like, you know, a stranger, like, bumps into you in the line at the store or something, and they're just like, oh, sorry, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're fine, man. You're fine. But when a loved one does something to you, when a loved one sins against you, it's harder, right? Well, Jesus went through that, too. Matthew chapter 26, verse 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus looked Peter in the eye. Because Peter had said, I will not do this to you. I will be, everyone else may turn, but I will not, Jesus. I'm standing with you all the way. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. Jesus still let Peter into the inner circle. He took him with him into that inner circle in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing he was going to do So what does Jesus do? Does he just like look at Peter and just be like, oh, I forgive you, and then ascend? Nope. No, he doesn't. John chapter 21, verse 17. I love the Gospel of John. In verse 17, he says, He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Jesus doesn't just forgive Peter. He goes that extra mile. Because how many of you know that Jesus giving Peter those three affirmations, those three, do you love me, was not for Jesus' sake. As far as Jesus was concerned, the record was clean in heaven. Peter had done nothing wrong. That was for Peter. Those three affirmations were for Peter, so he could live with himself for the rest of his life. Jesus doesn't just forgive him. He makes it so that Peter can actually enjoy being a Christian for the rest of his life. That's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't stop short. He keeps going. He goes that extra mile of grace, that extra bit. Okay? Now, for those of you eagle-eyed sort of listeners out there, you guys may notice that I, all of my scriptures mention forgiveness, and very few mention grace. Well, I have something to tell you guys. Studying for this message, I looked at the Greek meanings of both words. I think a unique relationship can be developed between them, okay? The Greek word for forgiveness is aphasis. And 
It means to throw out, to turn away. And the image that's presented, because all Greek words have pictures or examples given with them, is of someone in a courtroom being, bringing their case before the judge and the judge saying, there is no case. Go. This is what forgiveness with God is. The devil brings our sin before God and says, look at this, look at this, look at this. And then God sees Jesus and says, there is no case. There is no sin. Yeah. And then the word for grace, through most of the New Testament, there are some differences. But the main one is charis. Like charisma. The main definition is favor. But more often than not, it means specifically inclined to favor. What does that mean? What's the example used for that? It's of a family sitting around a table. And of the father leaning in to give money, wine, or wisdom to a son. Leaning in to give something to them. Something that is precious to him. Something that matters more to him than anything else. So how do these two connect? How do these two come together? Well, I think that God is specifically inclined to giving that forgiveness, that ephesus, throwing out your sin out of the court to you. This is the purpose of God. This is the one thing that if you have to dumb God down to the simplest component is this forgiveness, salvation, the importance of restoring what was lost. With all that mentioned now, let's look at our verse again. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think people see this as step one and step two. I am forgiven, forgive. Or Jesus is saying it as a command. If you want God to forgive you, you will forgive. But I don't think it's a command. Some of you may disagree with this, and that's totally fine. I see this as a description. If you have been forgiven, you will naturally forgive. And if you have not been forgiven, you will naturally not forgive because you don't have that charis, that special lean-in of favor. God leaning in and looking you in the eye and saying, there is no case against you. Because I have paid the price for your case. I have borne the punishment for you. Right? But Chase, I need to hear you say, what if I've never felt this charis, this ephesus, this God specifically taking my sin away, or God specifically leaning in to try to get to know me? Don't be afraid. We can take care of it. Or if God did that for you. If God threw your sin out of the courtroom, but then you went and got another one and came right back in. We can fix that. Or if you have some physical need, if you need food, if you need groceries, if you need just someone to watch your kids for a little bit, let us know. If you have a physical need, text 801-391-6969. And then be sure to give your name and your need. And we here at the Bridge Church will be there for you. We want to help you. The church is the hope of the world. We're here for you. We were not made to go through life alone. God put us all in community. And we all are meant to be together. And for the rest of you, those that need grace for the first time or need grace for the 491st time, just go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads.
repeat this after me. Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you came as a man. I believe that you died for my sins. I accept this gift of redemption. I publicly declare you as my Lord and Savior. And if I have wandered, I'd be restored in your grace. Amen. Welcome. Welcome to the family. That is what grace is for. That is how gracious you are to be with grace. Because God has forgiven us, because God has completely changed our nature, we are now able to give grace freely to everyone. All right? Have a blessed week. I'm very glad to have heard from you guys. Stick around for next week when we talk about what is required for grace. Mm -hmm.